You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Well, this morning, as we continue our series in the beginning, uh, we're looking at some of the truths that were established in the early chapters of Genesis. Last week, we talked about worship and uh, God's heart for worship and what that means to worship God fully in spirit and truth. For the next couple of weeks, uh, it's kind of a two-part series within a series, so to speak. I want to look at family, because uh, family is a very, very interesting topic of conversation right now. It shouldn't be, but it is. And so I want to tackle marriage, singleness, family, roles within a home. So we're going to get into it this morning and look at the roles and uh, the, the heart of God for family. For all of us, we were born into a family. Some of us might not be totally thrilled with the family we were born into, and yet we have fathers and mothers. Uh, each of us, whether we were conceived biologically, uh, like a, a natural conception, or through, in our case, we had the, the miracle of science and IVF, uh, we, we, had, we have our own children. But what is required is a, a male sperm and a female egg in order for life to begin. And we're all aware that the world has a lot to say about marriage and gender and children and the rights that we all have. And as a church, I believe it is our responsibility to teach the truth of God's Word. 20 years ago, I don't think we would have been thinking about these kind of conversations. The things that we took for granted, the things that we just knew to be true and real. Now, to some of the conversations, some of the things I will say today could potentially throw a spanner in the works or a cat amongst the pigeons. But I want to stay true and accurate to the Word of God, and I want us to be a generation that would raise the next generation with the truth of God's Word. You know, some would say that there's some brainwashing going on within the church. Well, there's brainwashing going on, all right? The question is, what are we washing our children's brains with? Are we washing our children's brains with the Word of God? or with the wisdom of the world. Can I tell you the wisdom of the world will not last like the Word of God will last. And so we have to be people who would wash our children's hearts and minds and brains with the Word of God so that they would know who they are and walk out their identity. Is Jesus coming back soon? Signs of the times would say it's getting closer and closer. In fact, every generation, I know it's hard to believe, is closer than the previous. So, (laughs) when's he coming back? Nah, I'm not going there. But let me tell you, this is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. Paul spoke, this was his foundational teaching to the church in the book of Romans. One, he says, The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. 
They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I, I ask for your help today. Lord, as I attempt to minister the truth of your word, God, I pray that any part of me that shouldn't be in this conversation and these words, would you remove those? Lord, may I speak from your heart. May we truly know and understand your word and your heart for humanity. Thank you that what you established in the beginning still stands today as truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. To me, it's a little bit sad that these topics that I'm going to be addressing have to be taught and retaught. But just so I'm clear, these definitions are well established in the Word of God. And over centuries, thousands of years, societies throughout the world have all attributed to these thoughts. They've committed consistently to these thoughts and understanding. Let me start. What is a woman? What is a woman? A woman is still, by definition, by the Oxford Dictionary, for now, may or may not be there, who knows, but for now, this is what it says, an adult female human being. A man, it's not that much different, but it's an adult male human being. A wife, still by definition by the Oxford Dictionary, the female partner in a marriage. A husband, still by definition, by the Oxford Dictionary, for now, the male partner in a marriage. Therefore, you can't have a husband without a wife. You can't have a wife without a husband. A child, still by definition, is a young person of either sex, usually one below the age of puberty, a boy or a girl. Other versions say uh, below the age of majority, a minor. So when you become a majority, you have adult rights, the ability to vote, to, to be able to act in, as, a, as an adult. Otherwise, you are a child, a minor in the minority. Now, biblically, these are foundational truths that have not changed, have not shifted. Even if the world would like to declare something different, we need to recognize there is a spiritual battle that is going for on for the hearts and minds of this next generation. This is a, a battle that we are seeing a generation rising up that no longer accept the Word of God as their absolute truth. Generation that has been making decisions based on what they know and understand, based on how they feel and their emotions. Can I tell you, my emotions don't always serve me well. When I get emotional on the football field, when a referee has made a call that I disagree with, my emotions do not serve me well. My emotions are good and they're important and, and they help. Uh, we've been learning in Freedom in Christ. It's like this warning light that says, hey, you need to discover some truth in this moment right now. <laughs> but it's helpful. But we can't always trust our emotions. And if we make our decisions on truth based on what we feel rather than what the Word of God tells us is truth, we will go down that path of becoming those who exchange the truth of God for a lie. 
there is an aggressive agenda that's being pushed through the media to dismantle the family unit, to pull it apart. You look at every sitcom, every um, reality show, the whole idea is to break down the family. We disempower males in the homes. They become this, 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 this man that's not worth anything. The woman has all the wisdom and is the one that solves all the problems. It's not an equal partnership. It's not working together. We see children who rule the roost. They, they make the decisions in the household. And this is what we see in our media. This is what we consume. This is what our children even watch. And they see this as normal. They don't see healthy relationships between a husband and a wife and a, and a father and a son and a mother and a daughter. As a church, we haven't always done well loving those that might think differently to us. Often we've, we've, we've got it wrong. I believe we haven't loved like we should. We've put people at, at arm's length and we've said, we disagree with your lifestyle and the way that you're, you're making these decisions. We, and and so, so therefore, I can't handle you, so stay at an arm's length. Can I suggest it has to be the very opposite? That we should reach out, we should embrace, we should have conversations, we should open the Word with people and say, come on, let's reason together, let's look at the Word of God and see what God will want to say to us about the situation. We should love not, not push away, but actually embrace that conversation. And can I suggest too that in, in, in the Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about when you put on the armor of God, the final part of that is, and stand. Some battles we actually don't even need to fight, but we can just stand on the truth of God's word and just live a life that people would say, there's something about the way you live. There's something about the way you treat each other that is so attractive to me. I so want to know why you would live your life that particular way. And that we would love and we would serve and we would be involved in people's lives and have these conversations. Friends, family is God's design. We should celebrate it and encourage it as much as we can. This is my heart for family. That in 100 years from now, when Amy and I are long gone, and our children's children's children, might be standing in our place, that they would say, thanks, mum and dad. Thanks, Mike and Amy. Thank you, the generations that went before. Thank you for making a stand for what is right. Thank you for teaching me what it is to follow God. Whether they choose to marry or whether they choose a life of singleness, that they would understand God's heart for family and that they could be a part of the family of God and live accordingly. So we're going to go into God's design for family from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, please feel free to follow along. Otherwise, the notes will be up on the screen behind me or in our Elam app. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, God's design for humanity was that they would exist in his image, male and female, that they would multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now the word subdue uses two 
Hebrew words rada and kavash, implying that man is to rule over the animals as his subjects, not as a dictator, but as a benevolent leader, a steward, one that would steward, care for our planet. We do need to care for our planet. We do need to make good decisions around what we do and what we, what we choose to, to, to invest our time and our resource into. I want to speak into singleness. What happens when we choose singleness or maybe singleness chooses us? For some, it's a choice and a good and a right choice. For others, we find ourselves single because maybe we've lost a loved one or maybe we haven't yet found one that we want to do life with. What do we do? How do we process that? What is our call? What does our worship look like? As Christ followers, we need to understand that singleness is not a problem to be solved. It's not a problem to be solved. Singleness in itself is an incredible calling that God has given to each of us. As Paul says in Corinthians, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Not many of us live with this kind of focus, but we need to. So what does worship look like for us if we are single? And singleness is the life that we're living. This is the thought this morning. Single-minded focus. I'm married, happily married. Got a loving wife, amazing children. But I cannot be singly, singly focused on Jesus when I also have these responsibilities as a father, as a husband. There is something about being single that allows a single focus. Jesus was single. He was singly focused on the will of God. The Apostle Paul even wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, it's easier to not be married because your focus can be solely on God. Paul wrote these words, for me to live as Christ. That is singular focus. And while married people are also sanctified and transformed into the image of Christ, the end goal of the life of a believer is Christ-likeness. And we are all called to be a part of the same family, children of God with one desire to be like Him. I love how John put it, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. Jesus Himself declared, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. In other words, the physical needs of His body are secondary to the need to do that which God had sent him to do. One of the goals or one of the, the, the blessings of being single is to be able to be singly minded in your focus on Jesus. If you are single, devote yourself fully to Christ without the distraction and the commitment of family. If your desire is to be married, devote yourself fully to Christ. It does not change. Don't waste the moments that you have. Your singleness is a gift, an incredible gift, to prepare your heart for eternity. 
God knows the desires of your heart, and maybe some your desire is to be married. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Don't change your course. Don't change your path. Continue to pursue Him with all of your heart. So a question for all of us, those of us who might be single. Am I embracing my singleness by allowing Christ to be my sole focus? If that's you today, am I embracing my singleness by allowing Christ to be my sole focus? In the, in the account of Genesis, we then see God establish the marriage relationship for a male and a female. Genesis 2, 18 to 25 says, Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. Man, I love hippopotamus. I don't know if that was originally Adam's idea, but (laughs) the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, At last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. In this passage, we see God establishes his design for marriage between Adam and Eve, and therefore establishing what marriage would look like for all of us. What's interesting is that within this text, we don't hear the word marriage, do we? If you're looking for marriage, you won't find it in that passage itself. But if you look at the whole narrative of the Bible, it speaks of this glorious bride that Jesus is preparing for the bridegroom, who is Jesus himself. We see right through to uh, to, to Revelation, where the wedding supper of the Lamb, where, where we as the church, the church as the bride of Christ, will be presented to Christ unblemished, unstained, without spot or blemish. And so this this idea of marriage is an understanding, us trying to gain an understanding of how God sees His church, His bride. What we see in this passage, and I'm going to share more next week in the roles and functions of a husband and a wife and children's responsibilities within a family. But what we see is God establishes and designates an order and a purpose for marriage, for roles as husbands and wife, and also later on we see for children. Sadly, this order is being flipped upside down. This upside down order is what the families are wrestling with constantly. We see it in all aspects of society. We see males trying to dominate rather than loving and laying down their lives. We see women rising up not, not out of the uh, beautiful submission and relationship to their husbands, but we, we, we see children that are making the decisions in the home, and it's like, is it okay if I do this, says the parent to the child, rather than saying, I've been given the gift of raising you. Let me lead you. 
This is the world we live in. And as a church, we need to understand how God sees it. And if we see it any other way than a loving creator and how he designed it to be, then we are going down that slippery slope of lies that would deceive us. Would we accept an order established by God and make a commitment to stand for that order? Restore it in our own families if maybe things aren't where they should be. With a commitment to prayer, a commitment to God saying, God, I need your help. I need your help to be married and stay married. And not just survive, but truly thrive in a marriage that, is, that has a fullness and that others would be able to draw from what you've created with your relationship with each other and with God. So in Genesis, we see some key observations where God takes two single humans, male and female, each created in God's image. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Males and females, how many people know, are quite different creatures. <laughs> and yet God thinks it's a good idea to put a male and a female together and call that a marriage. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. But Amy and I, we are not alike. There are so many differences that Amy and I shared a few weeks ago in marriage. We are different. So different. But the things that she sees and the things she brings to our marriage is so valuable. And what I bring, I hope, is valuable to our marriage and to our family as well. God designed it that way. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a mistake. God designed males to be males and females to be females and that they would work together if they choose to be married, that it should be a partnership that would cause life and strength. What we see in this passage is three things that God institutes, and I'm taking this straight from the text. It says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. That is the first thing when it comes to marriage. When I take a wedding, and I've taken probably over 100 weddings over the last 20 years of ministry, I will often acknowledge and thank the role of parents. So, so I'm marrying their children, but I'll take a moment to thank and acknowledge the parents who have raised them. On behalf of the, the children that I'm now marrying, to say, they want to say thank you for, their, for, their, for your leadership and your, your influence and your provision and protection within their life. But at the point of marriage, there is a change in authority and leadership. There's a new management system that, that takes place because it's now a husband and a wife, each with their dual roles, no longer under the influence of the parents that they have left. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. A father and mother, we have the responsibility to raise a son or a daughter until they become a man or a woman. How many people have had the blessing of releasing your children into a marriage relationship with, with somebody else? Not yet. We're not, we're not there yet. What a beautiful, glorious experience. To be able to say, I release you now into manhood or womanhood. How many people have raised children and now they've left home? Some of you aren't celebrating that much. <laughs> but what a joy and a privilege to be able to raise a child and say, now you go change the world. Having done everything we can, and I know all of us, I know I've made mistakes already. Even just last week, 
Amy and I got accused of fighting by our children. You guys are fighting again. We have to apologize and say we're sorry. We're trying to sort some stuff out. We got a bit frustrated and angry with each other. It happens in marriage, right? Anyone else got a normal marriage? That's why Paul said it's easy to be single. But there's incredible blessing within marriage too. Embrace singleness. Embrace married life. Sadly, some marriages are destined to fail because a man or a woman does not leave their father and mother. And the influence of the father and mother comes into that relationship. And so when a, when a decision needs to be made, it's just check back in with mum or dad going, hey, that's not the way God designed it to be. God said, therefore, a man knows a man, leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. There's a reason for that. God is wanting to establish new leadership for the generations to come. Come on, it's a maturity process. Say, come on, men, you got to lead your families now. You might be 21 years old or 22 or 23, but it's your time to lead now, to love your wife, to serve your wife. Not looking back to mom and dad anymore. Come on, they've raised you well. They've done their best. Now it's your turn to lead. Now, I'm not saying we don't check back in. I, I, I check back in with my mom and dad all the time. We're, we're forever talking. I love them. We're, we're, we're part of each other's lives. But they trust me now to lead my own family. And I bet they pray for me too. Those times that we don't quite get it right. And the times where they observe and they see things not going so well, I know they've prayed. And as I've prayed, Amy and I have worked things out in our own life. That's the role of a, a parent to release their child into their future. So a question for those who are married. Do my parents still hold an unhealthy influence over my marriage? This could be good conversations during the week. Ooh, a couple of nervous laughs there. <laughs> Go on, sort it out, yeah? Be brave, have a conversation. Work out what is healthy influence from your parents and what is unhealthy and causing damage in your relationship. Second thought, they are united as one. That's what God does. He says, if you, if you want to go from being single, you're still single, but now you're one. <laughs> no longer are you just thinking about yourself and your own needs, but now you have to take care of the other person. It's not easy. Come on, married people. It's not easy to take care of the needs of the other person in the relationship. It was a whole lot easier when we just had to take care of ourselves, right? Paul said it's not that easy being married. But God said they were separated from their parents. They came together and they became one. Physically, spiritually, connected as one. You know, as a church and, uh, and even in my own leadership, I've made the mistake of trying to suggest to people that maybe they needed to get married or they should get married or, or here's somebody that you could marry. Sometimes it did work, but, but I'm really careful now not to make that suggestion because some people are walking out their singleness beautifully and they should remain in that place and it's not mine to determine or change that. However, if we do get married, God's intention is we become one. That means that even with our different personalities and <laughs> ideas, 
the decisions now are not mine to make on my own. Any changes, shifts in purpose, decisions we make together. In fact, when I've talked with couples often, I've said the greatest gift we have is our oneness. When I don't know what to do, when we don't know what to do, we pray. We pray. We ask for God's peace. And peace might also mean that we're going to take a difficult step, right? Peace doesn't mean that everything will just fall into place. Peace sometimes means we've got to step into something that's difficult, but we've got peace together because we have oneness. I'm a better human, a better man, a better father, a better husband because I've got Amy in my world. I hope it's the same reciprocated back to Amy. So on a practical note, that means that what I have is ours. And what you have is yours. No, <laughs> ours. <laughs> but can I say that when it comes to money, if you're married and you've got separate money, you got your money and his money and her money, and I'd, I'd question the oneness. I'd be concerned if someone gets to spend their money and another one gets to spend theirs. We become one in all of it. It might be something that some of us need to have that conversation around. No, not to, I mean, we have, it, we have spending money. So we've got pocket money. So in our, in our budget, we have pocket money. So 20 bucks a fortnight that, that I can spend on whatever I want, anything I want. You know, if I want to get an extra coffee or you know, buy some more art, painting stuff or whatever. You know, I don't have to ask Amy's permission, right? She doesn't have to ask permission. So we have that within our budget. But when it comes to making decisions around the things we need in our house and our home and car and all that kind of stuff, we, we make those decisions together. Now, Amy trusts me to, to lead in the finances and, and to, to oversee that. But when we're making changes, we talk about it. We have those conversations because we are one. So a question for married couples as the team come this morning. Are there any areas of our marriage where we have not become one? Money, our vision for the future, dreams and desires. What might we need to do? What could we do in our conversations to become one? And lastly, they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. How many have got toddlers or had toddlers? Yeah? Anyone familiar with the nudie run? It's like the moment the nappy comes off, before or after the bath, they're gone. I mean, they're gone. Like It's like, yeah, freedom, yeah, and off they go. And it's awesome, and it's cute, and it's amazing, and we should celebrate that. It's fantastic. Not quite as appropriate when they become teenagers. Not quite so appropriate for mum and dad to do that. But there was something that took place when they sinned. That shame came upon this married couple. Something that God designed, this beautiful act of sex that was given for a husband and wife to enjoy. Man, if you look at our world today, sex is painted to our young people as something that is just, just physical. Just have it for fun. And, you know, anyone can do it and don't even worry about it. You know, multiple sexual partners, it won't bother you, it won't affect you. And yet you ask any person that has gone through multiple sexual partners, what it did to their heart, their soul, their spirit, their confidence, their value and their worth, they'll tell you, I wish, I wish that I'd chosen one person to give that gift to. Adam and Eve, they felt no shame. 
married couples, we should not feel shame. We should be able to enjoy that beautiful gift that God gives us and not have to measure up to some Photoshopped image of a, of, of, of a person. But beautifully accept and embrace this amazing person that you have beside you. What a gift that we get to give to one another. May you not have shame in your relationship. May you not have anything that is hidden or, or not able to be spoken about. I'm not just talking about sex, but a whole lot of different things. Things of our past and things that have happened to us. I pray that you would experience that oneness that says, you know what, this hurt me. Come on, let's pray about that. Let's talk about that. Let's get healing from God for that situation. That's God's heart and His desire. Here's a question as we close this morning. Are there any areas in our marriage you feel you have to hide from me or God? Question to ask your spouse. Are there any areas in our marriage you feel you have to hide from me or God? As we conclude today, I want to put a challenge to each of us. We're all part of God's family. We're the single, we're the married. We each have a part to play. The beautiful thing that the church is meant to be, multiple body parts, different gifts and personalities. But there's this beautiful coming together under one name, that we are children of God. We're children of God. I love John 1.12. It says, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Friends, today, if you've never accepted or known or, or realized that you could be a child of God, you could be accepted by Him. Today, I want to lead you in a, in a prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it's an important prayer that acknowledges that we're created by God to live in relationship with Him. God's desire is that we would walk with Him. But sin, as, we, as Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, as they sinned, shame, sin entered their world. And they were no longer able to be in relationship with God. And all of humanity was doomed to live within the sin and to die in sin. And yet Jesus came and he died a, a, a horrific death. One he didn't deserve, one that I deserved, one that we deserved. And yet he died as a perfect sacrifice because only a perfect sacrifice could pay for the sin. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. I was a young child when my parents taught me about Jesus. I'm thankful for a lifetime of following him. That's my story. That's my testimony. You might be here today saying, I haven't had that. Your testimony starts right now. When you say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. I turn from my old way of living and I, I want to follow you. Please forgive me of my sin. and I want to walk according to the way you want me to walk. You find freedom. You find hope in Him. Let me pray. If you'd like to pray along with me, please do so. You pray it out loud or pray it in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please forgive me of my sin for all the wrong things I've done, for living life my own way. 
Today I choose to follow you. Please forgive me. Make me clean. In Jesus' name, thank you for your gift of grace. I receive it today. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.